This morning, we are going to continue in our look at the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 17, focusing this morning, and I, uh, we're going to talk about something coming out of nowhere. Uh, have you ever just had a situation, whether it be bad or good or indifferent, that just kind of came out of nowhere, and like it was totally unexpected, you didn't see it coming, but boom, it happened. And then to add on to that, most of the time when these out-of-nowheres happen, there seems to be a tendency that we're already kind of in a dark place, maybe going through a difficult situation or kind of into a wilderness-type situation, and then you know, we're dealing with that, and then boom, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something else hits us. We're going to kind of take a look at that situation today as the Israelites face that, but... I want to take just a moment before we get to our scripture reading, and I, want to, um, I, I heard uh, Matt Chandler use this several years ago, and I thought it was a great um, you know, analogy whenever it came to looking at the first five books of the Bible in particular. You know, when we started this series, we talked about the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Now, one of the things that we tend to do when we compartmentalize things in our mind is we see these five books as standing on their own, and they're not. All five of the first books make up one book. And it's better for us to think that these are five chapters of the same book instead of five different books because they're all telling a narrative. They're all telling us a story. They're all giving us an account of the beginning through this nation of Israel that we're talking about right now. And it's, it's kind of like, how many of you in here truly know Jesus and were fans of the 70s and 80s Star Wars? Okay, come on, it's, it's fine. We, you know, we do not deny Christ. We like the 70s. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. It's like, you know, that's, that's what we saw first. That's what we love. That's what we think. And then, then we went back and, you know, we kind of saw the prequels and we're like... The devil had his hands in this. So, I mean, it's okay. Star Wars nerds, it's okay. It's fine. You, you, can, you can be a nerd here. This is a safe spot for that. But then when, like, The Force Awakens came out, you know, like, Episode 7, you know, us who are Star Wars nerds, we have this, this impulse that everybody around us needs to be Star Wars nerds, too. So we have to tell them about this, and you've got to come see this movie with me. It's the greatest thing ever. I can't believe they're making new ones. And, oh, I've heard rumors, and then we take them with us. And, you know, you can, you can tell in the theaters who are the Star Wars nerds and who aren't, right? Because when the nostalgic moments come up, you know, like you see R2-D2, and you're like, yeah! And then you see the Millennium Falcon, and you're like, oh! And then Han and Chewie pop up and like a tear. You know, it's like literally like a tear comes out, and you're just like, it's the greatest thing ever. And the non-Star Wars nerds are like, is that a big dog? <laughs> Who's the guy that's got the big dog that walks on two legs? See, there's a backstory to this, and if you don't know what's kind of led up to this moment, then you're just kind of confused. You're just like, all right, I don't have a clue what's going on here. And I want to keep reminding us periodically that as we go through the book of Exodus, that's what we're dealing with here. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're not following through with this narrative, if you're not familiar with the book of Genesis, if you're not familiar with the story that's being told so far in the book of Exodus, then you're going to be dropped into this wilderness experience and go, okay, why are people out here, like, by the millions? 
just wandering around in the desert. Egypt's right over here. We've got, you know, we've got other cultures and cities and civilizations around them. Why are they just wandering around in the wilderness? So I encourage you as we go along through this, continue to read this book, this Pentateuch, these five chapters, the first five of the Bible. Continue to read them and go over them because they all tell the same story. Now, Israel, where we pick up in this story, Israel has crossed the sea, they're into the wilderness. The imminent threat of the Egyptians are behind them. Okay, there's, Egypt is no longer a threat to them. We talked last week about now how their grumblings and complaining and their source of worry and anxiety came primarily from food and water. So God provided for that in his mercy, even through their grumbling and complaining. But now we're going to see something happen that I don't think that they were anticipating happening. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 16. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joseph did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven." And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer very quickly this morning. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that we are able to publicly read it, that we're able to publicly speak of it and learn from it. So this morning, I ask that you would have your words spoken through me. Holy Spirit, as I ask often, please use your words and allow my voice to speak those words. Remove as much of my words and my thoughts as possible and inspire me to speak truth this morning. God, I pray for everyone who is listening to this message that you would open ears, open hearts, and open minds to receive the truth that is your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the scene is now, they're on their way to Sinai. They're on their way to Mount Sinai. And there's all kinds of like life-altering, world-changing, history-changing events that take place at Sinai. And we're building up to that. So we have them moving through the wilderness. Again, Egypt is behind them. That imminent threat is no longer there. And they're making their way towards the mountain. When all of a sudden... Out of nowhere, Amalek comes and begins fighting them. 
So we see three things in this passage that we're going to talk about. The first thing that we see is an unexpected attack. We see them not expecting what's happening here. So they're in the wilderness, and out of nowhere, an unexpected attack happens. The next thing that we see happen in this is that we see in this passage that God fights with them, and God fights for them. And the last thing that we see is that there are no insurmountable battles when it comes to fighting with and for God. Even if it's unexpected, even if we didn't see it coming, even if we are totally unprepared for it. Because think about this. How, how um, qualified of a warrior nation do you think Israel is at this point? Probably not much at all, right? Like they've been in Egyptian bondage captivity 400 and some years, and they're led out. And the way that they're led out, they don't take up swords. They don't fight the Egyptians. God does their fighting for them. He fights their battles, and they go out, and then they come to this crossroads of a sea that they can't get across, and God takes care of that. So all of their deliverance up until this point, they've not had to really lift a sword. They've not had to lift any type of weapon. But now they're fighting this foe that came out of nowhere. So they weren't prepared. My money, my money, all $5 of it, which by the way, I'll let you know, Kim, your pastor's wife, married me for my money. I had $3 more in my pocket than she did when we got married. But anyhow, my money is on the fact that they were not prepared for battle at all. Now, this is a somewhat familiar passage for us, especially if you grew up in Sunday school and teaching. You remember this lesson, right? Moses going up onto the mountain, up on top of the hill. Aaron and her go with him. And while Moses' hands are extended and up, they are winning, right? The battle is going on. They are winning. But the moment that Moses' hands begin to drop, what happens? They begin to lose. Right? The Amalekites begin to overtake them. So it says that Aaron and Hur would come alongside of him and support his arms. And what we were taught was that three very biblical principles from this passage. Number one, you need to be a person of fervent prayer. Amen? You need to be a person of fervent prayer. Number two, you need to surround yourself with people who are people of fervent prayer. Amen? And number three, you need to surround yourself with people that will help you in your moments of weakness. Amen? All three of those are fantastic biblical principles. Guess what? They're not even close to being in this text. I'm not saying that they're not biblical. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. You should do all three of those. But nowhere in this text is that talked about. Again, it's important to make sure that we're reading, learning, preaching, and teaching from the context accurately. Amen? That's kind of important. So I just wanted to throw that in there to dash any Sunday school hopes you had growing up. And guess what? Noah's Ark experience wasn't fluffy. Rachel's nursery was done in Noah's Ark, and I think it was far cuter than the actual scene that took place. But we need to make sure that we're reading this in the context of what the scripture is saying. Again, all three of those things, please do them. Please do them. But the staff of God, 
You know, this staff that Moses had, remember we talked about it in chapter 3. Moses was asked at the burning bush, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. We see him, extend your staff and the sea will part. Extend your staff and he hit the water with the rock, you know, the rock and the water came out. Every, in most all of the plagues, we see that when God asks Moses to do something, he instructs him to use his staff, extend the staff. All the way through this study of Exodus up until this point, the staff in Moses' hands represented God's power and God's judgment. So whenever the staff was extended and lifted high, his power was on display. And this ill-equipped, inexperienced Israelite army was victorious over a warring nation. But the moment that that staff, the, the power, the judgment of God began to lower, that's when the tides of war turned. So just an interesting little side note there that that is what the staff of Moses has represented up until this point in the book of Exodus. So I want to talk about this unexpected attack. You know, it's one that they didn't see coming right here, that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Amalek shows up. And we're going to talk about how all of this applies to us a little bit later in this message, but understand that Amalek was not a new foe. This wasn't like somebody was just, you know, just kind of playing risk and moving pieces on the risk board and decided, oh, okay, well, my name, you know, I'm, I'm going to go attack the Israelites. You got to think about that because word would have spread right now, wouldn't you think? I mean, it's, it, it's not social media times back then, but... News traveled pretty quickly of how the Israelites would have come out of Egypt, how God was on their side. I don't think that there's just a random attack that's going to come. It's like, oh, look, there's that army that God absolutely destroyed Egypt from, the world's biggest, most superpower nation from an economy, from an army, from all of these governmental things, absolutely crippled Egypt, and God did that for them. Let's go pick on them. It's not a great battle strategy. But Amalek was not a new foe to the Israelites. You see, Amalek is Esau's grandson. Now, for those of you who have a little bit more exposure to the Old Testament history, Jacob and Esau were brothers. They didn't get along. There was some stealing of birthrights, there was some deception, there was some fleeing, there was some pursuing, there was kind of a fake makeup, and then they kind of started hating each other again. The, this was not a good relationship. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. The nation of Israel, do you remember who Jacob, who God changed his name to? Israel. So the nation of Israel was founded by Jacob. That's the line. So you have these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and as the line goes down, you now have Israel and the Amalekites that have been warring for generations. And they had had uh, differences. They didn't like each other, and they wanted to see one another wiped out. This enemy was not a new enemy. Unexpected, yes, but not a new enemy. We also see that God fights with and for, and we talked about this again with Moses, with the staff extended. 
This is the first time that God had really asked Israel to do anything from a physical sense. Like, you know, I would have been sitting there thinking, oh, look, they're coming after us. They're going, they want to kill us. I can't wait to see what God does now. God, what are you going to do now? Is it like going to be like sand, swallow them up? I mean, are we going to have like a mummy episode with this big face coming with this sandstorm? What, what's going to happen now? And the guy's like, no, you need to go fight. Anybody else up there I can talk to? Just curious. But now he's asking them. He's asking them to step up their obedience. God's asking more of them. But God did not neglect them. You remember, God always has a plan, and he's always working a plan, even if it doesn't make sense to us. So now they're being asked to do more for God than they've ever done before. And then finally, that the battles are not insurmountable. Again, my, my instincts, my thoughts tell me that they were not only outskilled in battle, but I'm guessing they were probably outnumbered as well with warriors, with men and uh, people of battle who were skilled to do this. And I think that these are three things that we really have to keep in mind as we look at this passage of Scripture. Because we see how God delivered them. And then at the end, we see where they were wiped out. And God was saying, listen, Moses, you need to write this down. You need to tell Joshua that I'm going to wipe out Amalek. I'm going to give you the ultimate victory over this enemy. So what does this mean from us? We see this little blip on the radar, so to speak, in their journey towards Sinai, towards one of the greatest moments of destiny that they have this side, the wilderness side of the promised land. They are attacked, and we see Moses, who recorded this history, pause long enough to tell us about this moment, about this battle, about this out-of-nowhere attack. I think there's some things that we can learn from it, too. Like we said at the beginning, we face unexpected attacks, right? Like, that's nothing new for us. Well, guess what? The good news is, is the Bible in the New Testament tells us that we're going to face these things as well. And I want us to look at some of the scriptures up here. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 6 through 8, this is to the New Testament church, which is us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. What Peter is telling us here is just like the Israelites, it doesn't matter what season we're in, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether we're on cruise control and just coasting through this, your enemy is out to devour you. He's out to deceive you. He's out to catch you at the moment that you least expect a, a, a battle to come about, a moment where you least, where you have your defenses down and he attacks. But Peter's saying that do not fall for this. Be sober-minded. Be level-headed. Think clearly and understand that the battle that we face in our life never ceases. 
And I think that probably most of us in here could say amen to that and testify to the fact of there always seems like there's something that I'm fighting. Right? Be watchful for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, he's looking to catch you off guard. He's looking to catch you at your weak moments, at the time when your guard is down, when you are either so done with the situation in the wilderness that you're in that you get like Jeremiah, you get like Ezekiel, and you're just like, I'm done. I don't care anymore. Or he wants to get you in a spot that everything's going so well for you, you think, man, this is great. What could go wrong here? Understand, folks, that your enemy, the devil, never takes a moment off in his plans and his schemes to attack you. So I believe that's why Peter prefaced that with verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God and understand that he's God. We're not. We need to humble ourselves that in the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us so understand that you may feel like you're the only one you may feel like you're on an island when you're being attacked out of nowhere but rest assured each and every one of us in here will face unexpected battles the enemy will come against us at times that we are completely and totally taken off guard. But that's why we need to constantly humble ourselves. That's why we need to put ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's why we need to depend on Him. That's why we need to keep our focus on Him. Now the next thing that we see in the New Testament is from Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. God didn't just fight with and for Israel. Church, if you don't hear anything else, if you don't take away anything else from this message, know this, God fights with and for you too. Amen? God fights with us. He fights for us. He has given us this armor of God that Ephesians 6 goes on to later talk about. He gives us the tools to fight these battles. He gives us the support. And it's just like Moses with Aaron and her. Again, here's where this is going to come in. We need to be a person of prayer. We need to surround ourselves with people, with men and women of fervent prayer. And we also need to surround ourselves with men and women of God who will help us, sustain us, encourage us, and impart strength to us when we are weak and when we are failing. God has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He has not left you. He has not washed his hands of you. I don't care how terrible you've been. God has not washed his hands of you. And that's good news, isn't it? And that's encouraging news. 
The next thing that we see out of the New Testament is coming from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 39, and reminding us that our battles are not insurmountable. The battles that you face that catch you completely off guard, that you may not have been expecting, no matter how big they are, no matter how many of them there are, no matter how intense it is, our battles in our relationship with God, when we have God on our side, they are not insurmountable. Romans 8, starting with 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whew, if there's ever a point to say amen, that's it right there. Absolutely nothing that I said. Go with that. Amen. Men, we are not facing an insurmountable battle. Even if you have multiple battles happening at the same time, God is on your side. And it may not look like you're winning, it may not feel like you're winning, and it may not even, the end result may not even look at that time like a win. But here's the greatest news ever. He's already won. He is already won. Now I want to go with a fourth point for us that we didn't pull out of the Old Testament, but I do have one more that I want us to go with this morning. And that is that our battles often are not new. Again, the enemy, Amalek, that they faced was not a new enemy. And most of the time, the battles that we face are not new. 2 Corinthians 2.11, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We're not ignorant of his devices, as one translation would put it. We're not unaware of what he's doing or what type of strategy he's going to use. I want, to, I want to give you this illustration coming from my history that, that the Lord used to teach me something similar to this. I worked on uh, the river on the barges for Marathon uh, when Kim and I were first married. And most of the time, whenever you're putting the toes together, they design the barges to go together pretty easily. Like they have the fixtures, they have the winches, they have everything that, that normally line up pretty well. And it's fairly easy to understand how you need to do it to, you know, they think it's important that the barges stay together. I mean, you've got millions of tons of fuel on there, and they think that they need to be secure. 
But I remember one time we were building tow and we had like this oddball size barge. And all the rest of them were empties, but this one was loaded, which meant that it sat way lower, it was way shorter, and nothing was matching up. And like, so we finally got it together. About four hours in, we, we liked all but one. We had everything in place with the exception of this one wire. And it needed, it was, a, it was a must. There wasn't any compromising it. So we spent multiple additional hours trying to figure out how to do this. We even had the captain coming down there who had been out there 30, 40 some years and we were all just out there going, we got nothing. We don't know what to do. And then finally, after about three years, we, we finally stumble on something and we're like, that works. That works. That, that did it. Fast forward, not quite a year later, but close, and the same situation happens again. All empties with this one oddball little sized barge that was lower, that was shorter, and all of these things. How long do you think it took us to figure out what wire to put on there that time? It didn't. You know, like we weren't there for three years again. Why? Because we knew what worked. So we didn't waste all of our time, energy, all of that stuff trying to find something different because we knew what worked. Can I tell you that I believe that our enemy's the same way with us? He knows what works with you. And there's no reason for him to stand around and try to figure out something else. You ever notice that? I would be interested by a show of hands, how many of you feel like you've been, at least on one front, fighting the same battle for years? You all know my affinity with the beautiful dandelion. And yes, you can continue to send me pictures, you can continue to send me videos, you can tag me in social media posts. It doesn't faze me. You can tell me about the bumblebees, and I understand that. I get it. I still hate them. I still hate dandelions. And I go out, and I mow them, and there's that sense of accomplishment after I'm done. I've even been known to take my coffee cup with me. Gloat and revel in my victory. But then the next morning, evil has blossomed again. Why? Because I've just removed the evidence. I mean, you know, I just took the dandelions and I, I cut them. Yeah, you know, I just chopped them off. I didn't, all I did was remove the evidence. And then the next morning, they're, they're mocking me. Why? Because I didn't get rid of the root system. See, that's the same thing with our lives. Whenever we have a weak point, whenever we have a source that the enemy knows that, oh, okay, they've just removed the evidence of it again. Don't worry. It's coming back. And see, we have this false sense of security, this false sense of victory that, hey, the, the evidence has been removed. I've struggled with this for years, and I finally have gotten victory over it because I removed all the evidence. I hid everything. But it church, if we don't take care of the root system of the problem, then we could actually have an extended period of time to where we think we're victorious. 
and then it comes back. You see, guys, our enemy is not ignorant. He is not dumb. He knows what works. And he will come at you over and over and over and over again until that root system is taken care of. And that root system, the way that that is defeated, is by this. Jesus Christ has already won the victory. Amen? Any battle that we could ever face, Jesus has already won the victory. And I've said this several times here, but still bears repeating in my opinion, that even though that Jesus has won the victory, we're still here fighting battles. There's still battles that happen, and we're going to address this. We're going to spend a whole sermon on this once the Israelites get kind of in to where they need to be, not completely into the promised land, but getting close. We do not, as, as believers, as Christians, as men and women, sons and daughters of God, we do not fight our battles to obtain victory. We fight our battles to enforce the victory that's already been won. You see, if the victory is up to me, I'm going to lose every single time. But when I fight from a place of humbling myself under the mighty hand of God and casting all my worries, all my anxieties, all of my fears, all of my doubts, all of my failures, all of my shortcomings, when I'm casting them at his feet and saying, God, I'm totally dependent upon you, just as like with the Israelites, with the Amalekites, God, I need your help because I'm weak, I'm weary, I'm not strong enough to do this. And when God is exalted in our lives, then the battles that we face, they may still cause pain. They may still be hurtful, but in the end, we fight to enforce the victory that was obtained over 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. And it's not our victory that we're trying to obtain. We're enforcing a victory that was won generations, thousands of years ago, and we're reminding an already defeated Phenomy. <laughs> we're reminding... An already defeated enemy slash foe uh, that he has been defeated Amen. once and for all. Once and for all. So what does that look like in your life? What's that battle look like? Some of you, we may have talked about it because, I mean, you know, with, with this day, you know, Mother's Day and Father's Day can be difficult days. Right? I mean, it's a, it's a great day to celebrate fathers. There's some of us who are missing our fathers. We still love this day, but, but it brings back a little bit of a source of pain, a little bit of a source of grief. Maybe, maybe you didn't have a great example of an earthly father. Maybe you had a, an earthly father that abandoned you. Maybe all of these relate, you know, maybe there was a, a father figure that, that, you know, abused you. So maybe it's a, it's a parent relationship, that one thing that always hangs up. Maybe it's a lack of relationship. Maybe if your heart has always been like, God, I just want that someone in my life, and it's not happened. That's the battle that gets recycled over and over and over in your head. What about those who maybe have wanted children for years and years and years, but they've been un unable to have them, and the devil comes back and continues to put that in your mind? What about that work situation, that promotion that you didn't get, that you were absolute the 
candidate. You were the best, most qualified candidate. And because of politics, they went over and, 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 and put somebody else in that position. You see, it's these types of, maybe it's something that happened in here. Maybe it's an offense from a brother and sister in Christ that the enemy continues to put in front of you and trip you up. You see, guys, the battles that we face, the enemies that come against us, they are often not new. But the source of victory that we need to hold on to is more powerful than anything we will ever face. And I believe it's safe to say, I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up. I believe that it's safe to say, we've said throughout this series, and, and this is something that, that I don't do in every message and I need to get better at and I understand I need to get better at, is where we see Jesus in these passages. We've talked about how Jesus is the greater Moses and how Moses was a type of Christ. How amazing is it to know that we have a high priest. We have a Savior who is interceding for, with God on our behalf as we fight our battles. And here's the beautiful part. It was great that God called Moses to do it, but the beautiful thing and the greater thing about Jesus than with Moses in our lives is we serve a Savior whose arms never go down. He never gets tired. He never gets weary. He never needs our help. But when we depend on him, the victory is ours. And that is something that we need to make sure that we're focusing on moment by moment each and every day. Pray with me again if you would. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for your word and the encouragement that it brings to our heart. Thank you that we can understand that even though that we face foes and we fight battles, that God, we are not alone. And we're not the first ones to have to endure this. But God, you were faithful then, you're faithful now, and you're going to ever be faithful in our days ahead. And Father, allow that truth to penetrate our hearts. Holy Spirit, please seal this upon our heart and bring it back to our remembrance when we're facing battles, when we're wanting to give way to doubt and fear that we have a God who stays with us faithfully. We have a Savior who died for us willingly. And we have an advocate who stays and fights with us continually. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.